Hi, this is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Welcome to the Intuitive Talks podcast. Surgical Robotics presents an enormous opportunity for companies. There are surgeon shortages, sporadic healthcare, and miraculous technological advancement in both robotics and communications. So to understand where this sector is headed, we invited senior executives from Intuitive to share their company's impressive story. Change is coming. Consider these upcoming episodes to be guideposts for the future to follow. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Intuitive Talks podcast. This is a very special interview I did at our Device Talks West meeting. Dave Rosa, the president of Intuitive, was kind enough to show up that morning. It was a busy morning for Intuitive Earnings Day, so I'm really happy that Dave made the time. And uh, we had the opportunity to cover a few very essential topics because we only had 30 minutes. So uh, I didn't get into Dave's background as we typically do on our podcast, but uh, you may have received last week the Device Talks Weekly episode that has the interview I did with Dave Rosa earlier this year. You can check out his background there. But in this podcast, we talked about his role as president, where Intuitive is headed, and, and how it fits into the healthcare sector. We had a lot of discussions at Device Talks West about the uh, the evolution of surgical robotics. Certainly, Intuitive has many different options, starting with DaVinci, of course, but looking at Ion and some of the others. We talked about all those options and how Intuitive intends to compete for the in, for the future in surgical robotics. So great conversation. Dave's a gentleman. I'm very happy to have him there. He's kind enough to uh, shake some hands afterwards. So uh, terrific time. And uh, once again, I'm grateful that Dave Rosa took the time to uh, to speak at Device Talks West. If you weren't there, I hope you'll join us next year or join us at Device Talks Boston. It's happening on May 1st and 2nd at the Boston Convention Center. If you were there and just wanted to uh, re-listen to a great conversation, here you go. Before we begin this episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Maxon. Maxon, of course, is a worldwide leading provider of high-precision drive systems, and it's a longtime partner of Intuitive. I'm joined by Peter Van Beek. Peter is Business Development Manager for the Medical Group at Maxon. Peter, do me a favor. Tell our listeners about Maxon. Sure, Tom. Maxon is a Swiss-based, privately held global company, and at our core, we are an engineering company that develops and builds world-class electric drive systems and electronics. What's nice about our product line is you can piece it together however you like. It's modular. Do you need just a subfractional DC brushed or brushless motor or a servo assembly consisting of a motor, a gearhead on the front, a sensor on, on the back, and a controller? In other words, a complete mechatronic drive system. We provide standard catalog, semi-custom, or fully customized assemblies, even uh, building complete from scratch, rotor and stator assemblies. Maxon does not shy away from cutting edge technology to solve the impossible drive application, be it a Mars rover or a helicopter drone, or an intuitive's case, a surgical console haptic motor. That's great. Thanks, Peter. We'll find out more about Maxon a little later in the podcast. But if you'd like to find out some more information right now, you can go to maxongroup.com, M-A-X-O-N-Group.com. Now, let's begin this episode of Intuitive Talks. 
All right, here we go. Dave, you ready? I am. Okay, great. Well, I'm very happy to, to it. <laughs> very happy to have you here. Uh, and uh, it's been just a treat to get to know Intuitive through the uh, Intuitive Talks podcast. And as I said, we've covered your early story. So let's sort of take it modern day and, and get a sense of where Intuitive is looking in the future. Uh, the first thing I want to address, actually, is, is your recent elevation to president. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Can you uh, just speak to what that uh, what that means what what you you've been with the company for, for from nearly the start but but what does this designation sort of mean going forward yeah you know um for me and thank you for the congratulations and and taking the time too it's uh it is earnings but i'm happy to be here and thank you. nice to meet you in person same here it's um you know the i think about the president role uh, the way it's described within Intuit or the way we use it is about day-to-day kind of operations, right? Um, from sales and interacting with customers to engineering to manufacturing the product and the regulatory uh, things that wrap around that. And so my job is, you know, all things operations. And, and I feel like it's kind of an integration of my experiences over the last 28 years. Mm-hmm. Right, I've had a lot of the roles along the way, and so this is just kind of the compilation of it all. And importantly, I think what it does is allow not only my focus inside, if you will, a lot, but also Gary, our CEO, his focus is a little more outside, you know, and, and externally and looking at uh, interacting with governments and regulators and customers a little bit more than he has in the past. Great. So we've got a combined crowd here, folks from Device Talks and from our Robo Business uh, event. They obviously know Intuitive's name, but I'd like to just take a moment to introduce us or reintroduce us to your portfolio. We know of DaVinci, but give us, you know, help give us a description of DaVinci, but let's talk SBI on and your hub. Sure. Yeah, maybe uh, what I can do is take one step back and just describe kind of the holistic portfolio as a, um, as, as we think about it, there's kind of two main aspects, if you will. And one is that we expect everything that we do in our portfolio uh, to be connected. So it could be products, services, digital tools, that sort of thing, connected in that they have some reason to be there and talk to each other. And so uh, we sometimes the analogies use like the Apple ecosystem, if you will. And so we talked about that. I thought it was smart. Damn it. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's one thing. You're not going to see disconnected, bolted-on portfolios that we are buying. You know, we're, they're going to be things that we're engineering or acquiring that are very, very specific. And the other piece of this is that they're always focused on, you know, our, our cores on the quad aim. And the quad aims either we're improving outcomes, which is kind of our first and primary mission. We're lowering the cost of care. We are improving the patient experience or the care team experience. And one of those attributes, or more than one, are always going to be centered in as we add things to the portfolio. So if you, if you dive in, you asked about a couple of our, of our main components. We have three major platforms, and you described we have DaVinci Multiport, of which our flagship is the XI system, a uh, bunch out there that we can talk about. Then we, ha- we have one underneath that, a little bit more uh, cost-effective that we call the X system. So again, a multiport forearm system. That's a vast majority of what's installed in the field. Then we have our DaVinci SP, and the way I think about it is it, it basically combines the functionality of, of a forearm DaVinci into a single port. And so the 25 millimeter port, about the size of a quarter, uh, three surgical arms and one articulating camera. 
and primarily focused in areas where it's an alternate site access or narrow access, and we, we can talk through that if you'd like. And then um, the, the ION system, actually, I'm super excited about. It's a, a little bit of a departure from a traditional surgical robot. It's a catheter-based uh, system where it has an embedded shape sensor. We close the loop around it and can control it uh, very precisely. And today, we have it focused in the lung. And so uh, trying to biopsy, help physicians biopsy distant uh, lesions. So the smaller the lesion, the higher the diagnostic yield, the better uh, the product is, and that's what we're focused on there. And then the thing that I think for me at least is pretty exciting about the last five years, maybe a little bit more, is the hub and in by extension kind of this digital foundation that is clearly becoming more and more part of healthcare. And so the hub is our way of kind of connecting a lot of the digital dots, if you will, video, uh, telepresence, using the data that we can get from the robot and integrating that in into analytics that we can display back to the surgeon in time. The hub is sort of our uh, center point, if you will, of doing all of that. Let, let's drill down on SP a little bit and w why it was necessary. How much of, I, I, I have, don't have the engineering brain for this, but how do you cram the power of four big arms into one small quarter-sized port? Yeah, so uh, if you look at just the fundamental characteristics of Da Vinci, you think about 3D vision, wristed motion, uh, precision motion, dexterity, those sorts of things. And so uh, it took a long time, and we have <laughs> really, really good engineers who worked on it. But all of those characteristics now are within Da Vinci, and it's just a very different, complex mechanism. But now we can enter through small, this quarter-sized hole into parts of the body very differently than a multi-port system can. And so uh, it is. it was, I think we started the journey in 2006. And so our first clinical cases were in 2010. We commercialized in 18. So you can see wow. how okay. long of a journey, how hard it was. So why do we still have, it would seem to be SP single port would be the way to go. It would be the primary way of performing a procedure. But yeah. why is multi-port still your primary yeah, it's a great product. question. So they both have their place. And the multi-port system has a lot of capability that the single-port system does not. Range of motion, the types of instruments that are available, the amount of force that can be applied. And so there are a lot of reasons, you know, if you look into surgery where it is more applicable. Something, um, maybe a specific example, is surgeons are starting to approach the prostate through the bladder. And so you want to, instead of entering the bladder with four arms, very difficult to get into this little sphere, uh, SP works perfect. You go right in through the abdominal wall into the bladder, approach the prostate, and you're able to do various types of surgery. And so there are times when multiport makes a lot of sense, and there are times when SP makes a lot of sense, transoral and otherwise. Interesting. And if you could just hold the mic, I think it oh. works best if you got it kind of aimed right at you. Yeah. Sure. Like a flashlight. So I like uh, to talk with my hands. <laughs> I know, so. I, I've, but now I've got this here. So I'm, <laughs> I kept losing my list yesterday, so that's why I got my phone. And of course, now it locked up. So how do the engineering teams from those three distinct surgical systems, do they work together? Or are they distinct teams that, that have Chinese walls in between them? Um, are yep. they very collaborative? No, What's that environment question. like? That's a good question. There are no Chinese walls yeah. within Intuitive. And I don't know so. why there would be. It was a stupid question. No, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> I had, couldn't think of the super a wall. We'll just say a wall. Yeah. No, but it's a good question. We're actually built, uh, we're 
we're structured in our organization in business units. And so we have four main business units. One is multi-port, one is single port, one is ION, and one is digital, what we call it as a whole, which has hub inside. And the, and the business unit has uh, basically the product lifecycle from advanced product development, product conception, that sort of thing, all the way through engineering and into what we call process engineering, but it's really taking it into manufacturing, getting the lines uh, constructed, qualified, and then at a certain point in time, turning it over to manufacturing. So from, from new product introduction and that manufacturing piece all the way back to early product research exists in each one of those business units. And then we have a set of uh, cross-functional uh, engineering capabilities, like uh, kind of uh, human factors, clinical engineering, uh, some core technology engineering that cross each of the business units. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're, they, they work and are focused on their business per se, but we share a lot of information clearly. Okay, great. So let's talk snapshot now of where you are in the universe. Can you give us a picture of, of how, how much of the pet market you've penetrated, where you're selling, number of units? Yep, yep. So maybe two ways to answer the question. One, the one I think about a lot is uh, today about 12, over 12 million procedures have been completed using uh, intuitive project products over the course of our history, uh, over 8,000 systems are installed around the globe. And last year, we did about 1.8 million procedures and uh, installed about 1,200 systems. And so in, in an annual basis, you kind of get a sense of the trajectory of growth. This year, we're projected to do over 2 million procedures, for example. And so, um, you know, when you ask about market share, you really have to look kind of procedure by procedure. In the US, about 95% of prostate surgery are completed on DaVinci products, you know, and we're early in life cycles in other, in other places. So that's interesting. So All right, we'll take a quick break from this conversation to bring back our sponsor, Maxon Group and Peter Van Beek. Peter, I know Maxon can be found in many medical devices and applications. Can you uh, share some specifics? Sure. Uh, Maxon is actually uh, first uh, one of the first motors in atherectomy devices, which was a disruptive technology in the early 2000s. It, it was actually replacing pneumatic power. But some other applications, Tom, would be dental tools, heart pumps, ventilators, surgical power tools used for brain, knee and ankle, or hip surgeries, insulin, dialysis, drug delivery and feeding pumps, uh, lab automation, respirators, and last but not least, surgical robotics um, like end effectors, haptics, tensioners, etc. Interesting. And how has Maxon been involved with surgical robotics historically? And what are some of the changes that you're seeing with modern surgical robotic drive systems? Maxon has supplied drive systems to the surgical robotics industry from its inception, starting in the 1990s with Stanford Research Institute's Golden Hour Robotic System and Intuitive's first and up to the present systems. For nearly 30 years, surgical robotic companies worldwide have been placing their trust based on our design and development expertise, be it a multi-port, single port or catheter-based robotic system, 
We supply the haptic, cable tensioning, and end effector drives and electronics. Concerning the future, Maxon continues to push the envelope with drive systems which are smaller, more power dense, efficient, quieter, and having low inertia, specifically for haptic. That's great. And final question, Peter, what are some of the advantages that Maxon drives offer medical device developers? Tom, let's start with quality. We're accredited to quality standards ISO 9001 and 1345. Maxon has recently restructured and streamlined our quality systems to align with European MDR and FDA regulations and validation requirements. Surgical robot makers who bring their projects to Maxon will have the benefit of working with engineers at all levels, sales, project, and R&D. In close collaboration with our, our customers, we develop drive systems tailored to the customer specifications using modifications both simple or complex. We can make fully customized mechanisms, for example, end effectors with drive electronics and motor assemblies. We have autoclavable motor and gear options, hollow shafted motors, right angle gearboxes. We have attachable gear heads with all, of all types and ratios, and even a new ultra performance gearbox that can be back driven. Regarding sensors, we have optical and magnetic based encoders and drive electronics to fill it out for both speed and torque or positional control. That's terrific. Thanks so much, Peter, for joining us on the Intuitive Talks podcast. And thank you to Maxon for sponsoring. If you'd like to find out more information about Maxon, you can go to maxongroup.com. Give us a sense, and let's, let's take a look at the state of surgical robotics overall from your perspective. We're seeing an influx of surgical robotics companies, obviously, many at these meetings. Many should be at these meetings, um, at this meeting. Uh, how are you viewing sort of the, the emerging number, the, the, the emerging group of surgical robotics companies? And um, yeah. where do you, I guess, where do you see the sector going? Sure, sure. It's a great question. I, it, you know, I guess what I'd start with is um, I, I'm excited to see competitors and, and other companies and their uh, engineering prowess enter the market. You know, we, we don't have the corner in every great idea. We don't have a corner in all the great engineers in the world. And so I'm excited to see what happens when people think about how to solve a problem and the unique solutions they come up with. It's fascinating uh, to watch. And the other part of it is customers want choice, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, and and so there there is a lot of benefit to having uh, competitors come in. And the other piece I think about a lot too is when I when I look at what is happening with the other systems that are being engineered, I think about it in sort of kind of in two ways. And then based upon my experience, and I we may have talked a little bit about this before, but my my perception is it was meant much of what I've seen, not all, but much of what I've seen is focused on engineering um, what I call outside the body. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at where are the systems that are being soft tissue robotics now, putting aside orthopedics and other things, if you look at 
how, how they're being engineered, there's a difference in, let's say, the surgeon's console. We use an immersive, um, where the surgeon looks in, it's kind of a two monitors, uh, mirrors, and optics to deliver a really good image. Others use glasses and a monitor in front of them. Mm -hmm. There's a difference there, pluses and minuses. There's a difference in, we use a, a cart-based system, kind of a single column. Others have chosen architectures with individual components. And we see early renditions and work done on integrating with the table. So all of that great. Workflow uh, impacts perhaps, uh, cost impacts perhaps. But the thing I'm wondering about is how does it move the quad aim forward? Mm -hmm. You know, does it fundamentally change outcomes for patients? Where today we see all sorts of things that are still happening even with the robotics that exist today. Complications, readmissions, uh, a wide variability in outcomes among surgeons and hospitals. How do we improve that? And what I'd argue is that, that most of that improvement happens inside the body. Mm -hmm. So what is the surgeon looking at? What do they see? What kind of information do we give them when that surgeon is making a decision about what tissue plane to, to dissect, what to resect out of the body? And so if that's where I'm hoping we see more and more investment and innovation in the world because I think it's a, a fundamental area of how to improve ultimately the quad aim. How to work within the body or how to better see inside the body? I think it's all of that. Mm -hmm. It's all of the above in some ways. And so today, in, in, you know, we have a suite of instruments with intuitive and outside in the, in the medical device world, but it interacts with tissue basically the same way that we have for centuries. Mm -hmm. You know, dissection, grasping, retraction, all those sorts of things. And so where and how can we uh, give more information to surgeons about what they're seeing and what they're touching? Can we give them the sense of touch so we know how much force is being applied and minimize that? What else can we integrate preoperative imaging? All those sorts of things. I um, oftentimes think about using the car analogy here. So 67 Camaro that I have, my high school car, has an engine, a brake, and a gas. Like, that's kind of it. And today's cars, right, have all sorts of sensors on them and everything else to improve the experience, make it safer, and hopefully help with decisions and not back into the wall, right? And that is where I kind of think about robotics. You know, we've, now we have fuel injection and better cars. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do we add all these sensors and for a better experience and better outcomes, ultimately? It's an interesting analogy, though. I mean, I wonder if there's any data that show all those sensors and everything have made us safer drivers, have reduced accidents, because they drive me nuts, to be honest. I drive an older car, and yep. when I rent a car, I'm like, ah, like yeah. stop talking to me. Like, I think it will be confounded by cell phones and people texting and being distracted. <laughs> very true. Yeah. yeah, very true. So how, how do you think intuitive is viewed, um, or how do you feel you're being viewed by the field? Are you a, a target? Are people targeting you? I, very often, you're the, the benchmark that folks will talk about when I'm talking about their smaller company, do you feel like you're, you're leading this group? Where do you fit into this, this large population, growing population? Growing population, yeah, we are. I, I do see us as, as the leader, right? As, as the pioneer who has, you know, kind of, uh, the other thing I was gonna tell you about is, is competitors and, and the growing field, which is so exciting, is it validates the last 28 years right. in so many ways. You know, the, the blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, that. Uh, our team has put in to forge this uh, field and show that there is benefit, 
right, with robotics, we can do things better, not only bringing more minimally invasive surgery to the world, but doing it with actually better outcomes than laparoscopy could. And so that has been proven. There are data to underscore that that we could talk about uh, ad nauseum. And so that validation is there. Now we have big and small companies alike coming in and saying we can make a difference too. And so... Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of being the leader. I'm proud of forging that trail. I do think that, uh, you know, setting, you talk about kind of setting the bar a little bit. There's one of the things that I've learned a lot over the past 28 years is it is easy to conceive something and say, okay, this is what I want to build. Mm -hmm. The next step is engineering that and making a prototype that works in the lab. And then the next step is, you know, in the clinical setting and doing a clinical trial. And the next step is selling that to a customer and having them be willing to pay for it, right? And valuing the work that you put in. And all of that, it's hard engineering work, but it's not the really hard work of scaling a business. And, and to me, that's where the bar is. So the reliability that our products have, the uh, continuity of supply when you're at scale, needing to supply millions of components a year to your customers, you know, every day, because they count on you and your system for their patients. You know, to me, that's the, there sort of gets, it gets harder as you go up that curve. I'm just going to focus this conversation on business and technical, but I just we had a conversation, a couple of conversations yesterday about looking at the future. Fred Kersavi talked about, you know, looking 10 years ahead and you're having a vision that other people don't see and how you could persist through that. Intuitive is that story. For many years, people not, even, not only laughed at you, they derided you. Mm -hmm. Payers didn't, said we're never going to pay for it. Surgeons said we're never going to use it. People said it's a big paperweight, billboard <laughs> material. I can keep being mean if you want. No, please, please. <laughs> I, have, I have heard it all. I've been called every, you know, I've been called everything. In so how do you rooms. not stop or how do you not listen or, or how do you not let internalize that and keep going? Yeah. Um, here's, I, I will tell you a quick story from the early days and then tell you where we are today. So those same questions were all true in the very early days of the company and where we, um, you know, more or less, it started out in cardiac surgery, weren't making inroads, were laying our teams off at certain times, couldn't raise money, all those same questions. But I think we have maybe talked about this. There are, um, when we could get the system to work as we wanted, it was magical. Like you knew you had something. Uh, it would work for three minutes and then break, but we knew we had something. <laughs> And so uh, our job was like, we, we believe we had the recipe. We just had to continue to repeat it and get the recipe, you know, so it tasted good every time. And that, that was for me, and I think what helped keep us grounded through the early parts of the years was that specialness that we had when we'd had it. When, and so now, for me, what I look at and what keeps us going, and we still face many of those same challenges, is then it was a belief, now it's proven with data. And so now I can, I can show uh, CEOs or whoever's questioning me about, or our teams about the efficacy or the economics of a system, let me show you, let me show you the data. And to me, that is just so powerful. And so, and we're nowhere near done, right? The, the open surgery is still prevalent. Uh, poor, poor outcomes are still prevalent across the globe. So there's a ton of work to be done and that's what keeps me excited. So if you had a friend of the family who came to you, their son was starting a company, Surgical Robotics, wanted to know, 
how to proceed, because this is a different world. You, you faced all that, but you, as you said, you've, you've proved the point. It exists. Now it's a matter of just other companies finding their place. What advice would you give to someone leading a smaller surgical robotics company now? Yeah, I would, um, <laughs> I would be, there's maybe a couple of things. One is, you know, keep your head down and do the work, mm -hmm. right? It's, believe me, you think you got it and you don't a thousand times, you know, almost daily. And so, you know, make sure you can get to a place where it can really impact uh, the world. And so that would do a kind of a cultural thing. The other one is not that we're the only place, but look for areas that are not dominated by another industrial player mm -hmm. or, or solutions that have really, really good uh, outcomes for patients in, our, in this case. And so, you know, today we're in soft tissue surgery and, and lung biopsy for the most part, and we're doing a great job, in my opinion, and data showing it. There are lots of other parts and lots of other areas in the, in the body that are not as well served. And so that, that kind of blue ocean, red ocean aspect of, I think is an important part is you think about how do I, as a young entrepreneur, build a sustainable business? What am I trying to accomplish? You know, getting back to that core, what problem am I trying to solve? Is it a me too robot? I just want to grab some of the, the market share and I'm happy with whatever percent of, a, of the existing market, or am I going to do something new and really move the needle for patient outcomes? But how challenging is it with hospitals? Because the hospitals don't have the money nor the space to really have a surgical robotic system for that, surgical robotic system for this. They can't just keep wheeling one in and wheeling one out. How challenging it is, to, is it to work? And I want to talk for a moment about the future because there are more challenges. But, but working within the healthcare environment, I think, is unlike any other. You, you're not going to just buy another building to have another robot or to expand their warehouse. What are the challenges of, of getting that real estate? And and meeting the, the financial challenges of the hospital companies. Yeah, no, it's, it's well said, Tom. It is extraordinarily difficult, mm -hmm. right? I, I talk to hospital administration, administrators all the time. The pressures that they're under are extraordinary, you know, from all the rising healthcare costs and strikes, you know, we just had recently here, uh, to every single person within the hospital asking for new and better, mm -hmm. right? And so... I, uh, I have a lot of empathy for them, and you're right. We can't just say, you know what, buy this robot for prostates, and then roll it out and put this robot in for hysterectomies, and roll that out and then do this. It's just nonsensical and non-scalable for the, for the um, administration. But that being said, I do think there are specialties, right? There are, orthopedics is really different, and you can build a robot mm -hmm. very, very specialized there. Uh, spine, soft tissue, eye, neuro, you know, you, you can look around large and small joints in ortho even, and look around and say there are opportunities out there for you know, we should be a little bit careful too, because I think most people think about robotics as big systems that take up a lot of real estate yep. and are multi-millions of dollars, let's say. It's not, not necessarily true, right? Robotics, and if you think about it, dexterity, precision of motion, immigration of imaging and motion control, it kind of can be in small packages too, if the problem to be solved warrants it, right? Mm. So I don't, I don't think you ought to limit your thinking to big, robots that live in an operating room don't really get moved very often in high, high throughput. Lots of other ways to think about how to address problems too. So how do you, how does intuitive then kind of fit into the future and this goes into where we're headed and we're going to talk about it in the next panel a little bit. 
The rise of, of ambulatory surgery centers, which yeah. are separate from hospitals and smaller, uh, the hospitals are feeling crushed again, as I mentioned earlier, for space. Yeah. Money's always an issue. Uh, it, one might think that into, you, were, you were started in the 1990s, you really for, forged yourself in the 2000s. Those were very different in, in into the teens. Those were different times for healthcare than they are today. Is intuitive, does intuitive fit into healthcare's future? Or do you have to make significant changes to, to be part of that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I might, I, I'll combine, I could talk about ASCs and specifically, sure. and but I like. maybe combine it up and cost is front and center, right? You see healthcare costs as a percent of GDP across the world going like this. Mm-hmm. It's, it is non-sustainable. And I hear for sure in the early days of intuitive I'm like what are you, what are you doing it's a million and a half dollars to just do what laparoscopy does like what are you doing for the world other than adding costs mm-hmm. and you have to step back from that and say that there is more to healthcare costs than what you spend in the operating room mm-hmm. obviously and so for a surgical patient if you look at the cost profile and, and the total cost to treat that patient that it starts before surgery, but let's just start it at surgery. And what happens in the operating room? Yes, robotics will cost more in the operating room, almost always. Not not every time, but most of the time, capital equipment service, INA that is purchased inside the operating room. Then you have to look at the rest of the journey. So why why do minimally invasive surgery? Better outcomes, shorter length of stay, fewer readmissions if done well, those sorts of things. And all of those have a significant cost against them. So one of the primary areas of investment in kind of um, what I'd say is capability for intuitive that we've invested in is around the economics of a surgical episode. Mm-hmm. And so we have economists on staff, statisticians to understand from a customer's perspective using their data, what does it mean? You spent this much on the system. Here's what it costs you in the OR. Here are your outcomes afterwards. And just in about every single case, when you do that total cost to treat, robotics, even against laparoscopy, is delivering a lower total cost to treat. And so to answer your question, I think it fits directly in the future. In fact, this is the way in which healthcare will be, surgical care will be delivered mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. But one of the primary ones is because it does lower the total cost of care in most settings. And does, will intuitives offerings look different to, I guess, is there, is there going to be room for a big forearm da Vinci in the future of healthcare? I think there is. And so again, a lot of people do talk about the size. I, you know, it's okay. And, and I've, if I had a dollar, as they say, right, for every time <laughs> I've been asked about why doesn't it go the way of technology and get smaller and smaller? Like what's, well, none of us, certainly not me, are getting smaller, right? We're, <laughs> we're constrained by the patient size and yeah. BMIs and OR tables and all those sorts of things, how much room in the abdomen. And, and so there, there are physical constraints about the size of the system, you know, sitting at a console, that sort of thing, that in order to do surgery, you know, as we know it today, I think our... Are, are, they are the baseline. And so hard to make a robot to do today's surgery uh, that in my perspective, a lot smaller. Because you want stability, you want you know high velocity, very high bandwidth range of motion, so surgeons feel very connected to the system, that kind of thing. In the future, if you were to say, 
does surgery change, right? So do, do the design inputs, the constraints that we face today from doing kind of the, the soft tissue that we have, I would say it very likely could. And, you know, one of, look at what's happening in the world of liquid biopsies and better imaging, finding cancer earlier. So cancer, instead of, uh, I was just talking to somebody who had his kidney out because it, it didn't present for years, right? And so his kidney has giant tumor and had to have his whole kidney out. In time, maybe there are, is some screening that would have caught that earlier and we could have taken out a small tumor, mm -hmm. right? And had done a partial nephrectomy or a focal ablation or some focal therapy that would have preserved my buddy's kidney, you know? And doing that may take a very different kind of format of, of robotic system, perhaps even a needle-based or a catheter-based system, delivering focal therapy into a small lesion versus having to take out a, a kidney that's three times the size of the normal one. Okay, great. And last question, because we have just a few seconds. Sure. Over the next five years, likely or unlikely that Intuitive buys a robot generated for, created by somebody outside? Uh, likely or unlikely? I would say it really depends on the problem to be solved, but uh, I would say unlikely. <laughs> unlikely. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for allowing me to stray off my questions and to, to have a, a nice talk. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, Tom. Thank you. Well, that is a wrap. Once again, I'd like to thank Dave Rosa for joining us at Device Talks West. Thanks to all the Intuitive employees who showed up as well. Great representation from Intuitive. Very happy to see you there. And of course, I should mention that Catherine Rieger, Senior Director of Human Factors and User Research at Intuitive, presented the day before Dave spoke. So we had a, a lot of great Intuitive uh, content and discussions and insights and solutions. So uh, thankful to the whole Intuitive team for being a huge part of Device Talks West. And again, thanks to everyone who came out for the event. It'll be even bigger next year. Mark your calendars. We're looking at October 16th and 17th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. Well, that is a wrap. Please make sure you subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network so you don't miss a future episode of the Intuitive Talks Podcast or our other great podcasts. And of course, go to devicetalks.com to check out everything we're doing at Device Talks. We've got great events, virtual and in-person, great podcasts, and much, much more. So thanks for listening to this episode of Intuitive Talks. Thanks, of course, to Maxon for sponsoring once again. And uh, make sure you tune into our next episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast. Mm -hmm.